This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, I'm looking at the story of the pig-faced ladies, a not-at-all-real story that led to a very real belief in the creature for nearly 200 years. You'll see how you can make a lot of money getting wild animals drunk and putting them in dresses, and that if you run an ad in the paper offering a lot of money for a gentleman to marry your pig-faced daughter, the men who show up might not be that great. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a rare, sought-after Australian bird who, when spooked, takes a very smelly escape route to jump out of existence. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 12, Citation Needed. This is a podcast where I tell stories that have shaped cultures throughout history. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. This week is a little different. I'm going to tell a story from folklore, but then I'm going to dive into the history and the bizarre, real-world response to the stories. I was originally going to do this as a creature of the week, but it's so complex and weird and amazing that I just had to give them their own episode. For over 200 years in Europe, it was believed by large portions of the population that there were upper-class women who had been cursed with having the heads of pigs. Now, this isn't metaphorical, like saying someone is pig-headed or ugly or something. No, people believe the upper rungs of society were hiding women who literally had pig heads. They were believed to be 100% pig from the neck up and human from the neck down. The newspapers reported their existence as fact. A hospital had pig lady evidence in its lobby. Groups of people would chase carriages trying to catch them, and you could apparently see them at fairs and festivals. This episode is all about the incredibly bizarre story of the pig-faced woman. I'll start with the first widely known story of the pig-faced woman. Her name was Tannikin Skinker. In 1618, Mrs. Skinker, her soon-to-be mother, was living in Holland with her husband in a town called Workham, near the border with the German Empire. She was pregnant, and we find her walking down the street. A witch-like old woman approached her begging for alms, but she turned the old woman away in a bad temper. I don't know what she said to the woman, but it can't have been worth the response that followed. The witch-like woman, surprise, surprise, apparently turned out to be an actual witch, and that turned out to be really unfortunate for Mrs. Skinker. The witchy woman muttered a curse and said, As the mother is hoggish, so swinish shall the child she goeth withal. I can't imagine anyone has done anything more than write that saying. Seriously, it's very hard to say. The soon-to-be mother thought nothing of the crazy old woman muttering to herself in the street and went on about her day. A few months later, she's straining in labor. Finally, she gives birth to a baby. It's a girl. The cries of the baby are matched by the screams of the nurses because they look at the girl and she's hideously deformed in the face, but otherwise healthy. The mother clutches the baby to her chest and weeps because you can probably imagine what life was like during the Renaissance for children that were seen as deformed. Weeks passed, and the baby was sweet, even-tempered, and healthy. There even seemed to be a method to her deformity. Her face was taking the shape of that of a piglet. It was then the mother remembered the witch-like beggar and told the authorities. She wanted the woman put on trial for being a witch. The beggar, despite witch trials apparently being a thing, and she allegedly having used witchcraft to curse this pregnant woman, didn't bother to move from the same spot where she had been when she muttered to the woman. Despite allegedly being a witch, the authorities picked her up super easily 
and put her on trial. Either because she didn't have the power to reverse her own curse, she didn't want to reverse her own curse, or she was just a poor beggar that the mother wanted to blame this on, the supposed witch did not reverse the curse. She was burned at the stake for either horribly cursing a pregnant woman, or muttering the wrong thing at the wrong person at the wrong time. The childhood of young Tannikin Skinker was a lonely one. Her parents, though they loved her, were ashamed of her. She was brought up in a private chamber of the house that only the parents were allowed in, and she was fed and taught only by her parents. Eventually, though, the word got out. Passersby would catch glimpses of a pig girl in the window here and there, and it became well known that the skinkers were hiding a pig-faced woman. They began to let Tannikin visit with one or two guests. Then, by the time she was 17, they let her go out. People were, while not kind or accepting, more so curious about her at first. This not at all being a ridiculous and demeaning way to treat your pig-faced daughter, her parents gave her the most wonderful silver trough to eat out of, which she stooped into and guzzled down like the swinehead she was. She spoke, though not much, and, of course, only in oinks. This was too much, and young Tanakin began to be mocked by the people, and her parents sought a cure for her. Her father consulted an astrologer and mathematician named Vondermost. He dabbled in the black arts, so it's safe to assume that it's heavy on the astrologer title and pretty light on the mathematician side. He said there was only one way to cure her. Young Tanakin must be married. As long as she remained in her parents' house, she would keep this curse. More specifically, consummating the marriage would cure her. And it had to be a gentleman, not some lowly peasant just marrying her for the money. Her parents put out an announcement, 40,000 pounds to the man who would marry her. To put that in perspective, 40,000 pounds today in October of 2015 is roughly 60,000 US dollars. I can't find any sort of real estimation on what 40,000 pounds would be in 1635, but I would guess it's somewhere around 1.5 to 2.5 million of today's US dollars. As you could see, they really wanted to find a gentleman to cure their daughter. As you would imagine, this tactic didn't attract the best sort of suitor. A few days later, their gates were packed with all sorts of not-so-great guys making all sorts of not-so-great comments that are not only offensive to pig-faced women, but to women in general. They're super sexist, so I'm just going to step right over them and keep on going. A number of suitors came, but none could handle this really bizarre young girl, and they all took off upon seeing her. One person said he didn't think his stomach was strong enough for what would be required of him. He liked his pork broiled or roasted, but never raw. Suitors were bombarding their gates, not so much to marry the girl, but to get a look at one they thought of as a freak. The parents couldn't take it, and they left the continent for London, where they took up residence without publishing their address. People in London were really interested in this girl and her manners, but mainly because she had the head of a pig. Even keeping the massive dowry in place, they still couldn't marry Tannikin off to a gentleman. Tannikin remained with the pig head for the rest of her life, and no one really knows what happened to her after her late 20s. No supposed accounts from her exist, because, like I said, she had the vocal skills of a pig and could only communicate in oinks. Tannikin passed from the not-at-all historical record, and you think that would be the end of it. If she ever existed... Whatever facial problems she did or didn't have that made her look like a pig seem rare, random, and sort of like a historical flash in the pan. 
The story popped up again here and there throughout the 1700s, with writing and songs talking about a pig-faced woman here or there, with one especially popular story in Ireland that I'll go over later. The stories all have similar elements, and some have subtle differences. There's one where the woman is cursed with a litter of pig children. There's another where the woman wears a gold jewel-encrusted veil, and upon that veil being lifted at her wedding ceremony, her fiancé sees her face for the first time and books it out of the chapel. And there's another super anti-Semitic one that I won't go over. Still, at the close of the 18th century, it looked like the odd curiosity of yesteryear was on its way out. That is, until 1815. No one knew what sparked the pig-faced lady craze of the winter of 1814 to 1815, but it would lead to the legend staying in the public consciousness and a persistent belief in the women for at least the next 50 years. This is where we meet perhaps the most famous of the women, the pig-faced lady of Manchester Square. As you can probably guess, she lived in Manchester Square in London, England, and numerous people who allegedly saw the woman actually wrote into the newspaper describing her horrifying appearance. Then someone came forward, a young woman who waited on the pig-faced lady. She said, like many of the others, the pig-faced lady was flawless from the neck down. But like Tannikin, she only spoke in grunts and oinks, and ate from a silver trough. She was from a wealthy family in Ireland. The girl was too scared of the monster to continue on in the position, but she went on to describe her well enough for someone to make an engraving. It's both exactly what you think it's going to look like, and completely ridiculous. There are way too many drawings and engravings on the pig-faced ladies, and I've dedicated a post to them on the website with a link in the show notes. The popularity of the story exploded. Thousands believed in her existence, and people wrote into the paper offering to work for her sowship for large amounts of money. A 30-year-old man ran a personal ad saying, basically, he knew what he was in for, and would be happy to marry her for the money that had been rumored. He also has references that can vouch for his respectability. Those are obviously unnecessary, though, since he's so willing to run an ad in the paper saying he'll marry a pig girl for the money. What's not respectable about that? One paper refused to run it, and donated the money the man spent on the ad to charity, while another was happy to run it. During a celebration marking the end of the Napoleonic Wars, a crowd was gathered around Piccadilly, a street in London, and several eyewitnesses saw a woman make the mistake of opening a window and look out. They could clearly see the panic in her little pig eyes behind the veil. With the snout protruding out, the crowd rushed to stop the carriage, but it sped away. They found it stopped in front of a house of a well-known lady, but they weren't allowed in. One nobleman was allowed in, and, months later, as he entered the drawing room, he surprised a young woman. From behind, she looked absolutely breathtaking in a stylish dress. She, in turn, surprised him when she spun around and he saw her grotesque pig head. He rushed out, and she lunged at his back, biting him on the neck before he could escape. He was apparently bitten so badly that he took several days to be healed at a local hospital. There are so many supposed eyewitnesses of the lady throughout that time, with people going to dinner parties and being warned off from conversation that might include pork because, did you hear? So-and-so's sister is the pig woman. And no, we can't see her, I already asked. Before moving on, there's another pig-faced lady rumor in Paris about the same time. A very specific rumor about a very specific pig-faced gentlewoman circulated, and great crowds gathered around the address that had been mentioned. They were disappointed. 
Apparently a young man had been spurned by a woman, and to get back at her, he spread the rumor that she was a pig-faced lady. It was too effective, though, and the crowds wouldn't believe that she wasn't hiding a pig-faced woman in there. She was eventually forced to move to get away from them. The pig-faced lady of Manchester Square probably didn't exist, but there is another supposed pig-faced lady, a recluse at a hospital in Dublin, someone about whom there is a reliable historical record. This was about 100 years before the craze of 1815. A middle-aged woman named Griselda Stevens had used her inheritance to build a hospital for Dublin's poorer citizens. The caveat? She had to have a set of apartments in the hospital where she would not be disturbed. She was a peculiar, reclusive woman. Obviously rich, but when she managed the building of the hospital, she did so through intermediaries. And when she would go to tend to the poor in the street, she would do so from a dark carriage, hidden behind a veil. Her mother had apparently been cursed the same way as Tannikin Skinker's mother, and it was obvious that the daughter, unable to find a husband to relieve this curse, was taking another route, trying to be philanthropic. Maybe this way she would cure her curse that came about through her mother's stinginess. A local bar got their hands on her silver trough, too, and even though Miss Stevens had a painting commissioned of her to sit in the lobby to dispel the rumors, no one believed it. Besides, the tavern down the street had a true painting of her, with the pig head hanging next to the trough. It was obvious her painting was just propaganda. The pig lady had been found out. Heck, people had even seen her reclining at fairs and festivals. Except they hadn't. For those of us that aren't obsessed with finding pig women everywhere, the truth behind Miss Stevens is perhaps sadder than the pig story itself. The real Miss Stevens came from a wealthy family, and she had a twin brother who was a doctor. When he died in 1710, all his wealth and the family's largesse diverted to Miss Stevens, the woman who, spoiler alert, is not an actual pig-faced lady, was just a super kind older woman with a heart for the poor. She had never married, which is not ridiculous, and she began construction on the hospital and used a large amount of her own money to start it. She was simply shy, which, yeah, introverts exist and are also not super rare. What put the rumor over the top, though, was the veil. What was she hiding? As it turns out, she wasn't hiding anything. She had an eye condition since she was a child and wore a veil to keep the sunlight out. Still, the image of a reclusive, veiled woman peeking out of a carriage was too much, and the rumor spread all over Dublin. She would have children and classless men running up to her carriage, jeering and trying to catch a glimpse of her, probably pushing this already naturally shy and nervous woman deeper into hiding. It got bad, too. As I said, the bar down the street displayed her silver trough, and the ridiculous urban legend spread as far as North America. The medical community in Dublin knew and respected Miss Stevens, grateful for her philanthropy and leadership. But among the poor and working class of the city, those that she had spent most of her life only trying to help, she was known as a deformed monster, only trying to buy her way out of her mother's sin. To the credit of many of the writers, most of the more established stories talk about the injustice done to Miss Stevens and how bad it must have been for her after this vicious rumor traveled all over the country. Sadly, though, after she died, the hospital began to make use of this notoriety and displayed the silver trough, along with a plaster cast of a pig face, in the hospital itself. This went on until the end of the 1800s, when a hospital administrator came to his senses and deemed it too unprofessional for a medical institution. Still, she was remembered for nearly 100 years after her death and the national collective memory as a monster.
But what about the numerous accounts of people actually seeing a pig-faced lady at fairs and festivals? In a story full of ridiculous and unbelievable events, this is probably the best part. It speaks to the ingenuity, tenacity, and cruelty of someone trying to make a buck. As it turns out, the fairgoer would see an actual creature. They would walk into a shadowy tent a few at a time and see a magnificently dressed woman reclining. She had blonde hair, wore shoes, gloves, and a dress, and would converse with the crowd. Only in grunts, of course. Everyone knows pig ladies only spoke in grunts. It would be one grunt for yes and two for no. People filed in, asked a few questions, and then they were pushed out to make way for more paying customers. As with everything in this story, there's another side to it. They did see a creature, but there weren't any masks or anything like that. Nope. It was, of course, a bear. Yep, the sideshow hucksters would capture a bear and get it to drink from a large bucket of very strong ale or liquor, getting it quite drunk and lethargic. Lethargic enough to shave its arms, legs, paws, feet, head, and face if not the whole thing. Then, they will put a dress on it, shove its bare feet into dress shoes, and somehow fit its paws and gloves. To top it off, they will put a blonde wig on it, and then have it tied down, appearing to be reclining in a chair with a hole in the back. When people would ask it questions, a guy in back would jam it with a stick through the hole, making it grunt or yelp with answers to the questions. As an aside, if you do a Google image search for a shaved black bear, you'll see that, yeah, if it was in a dark room with hair and a dress, and you thought the existence of a pig-faced woman was a possibility, that you could convince yourself you saw a pig-faced lady. Like humans, if they have too much to drink, the bear would get tired and angry, and at some point wouldn't want to drink anymore. There are stories of the very drunk, very fed-up bears attacking the workers at the end of the day, but nothing really substantial that I can pull some details from. Sorry. There's nothing to say what caused interest in pig-faced ladies to wane, but throughout the 1800s it tapered off, and people slowly came to their senses. 1815 was the last time publications traded the rumor as fact, and that was really the highest point of interest, as it dropped throughout the century. There are more and more instances of people refuting the pig-faced lady as an odd, quaint belief of the previous generation, and people also began to lose interest in the Sideshow Act. There's an incident in the 1800s that I also can't find any details on. People, possibly fed up with being scammed, stormed the tent with the bear in it and attacked the workers. Mrs. Stevens' hospital finally got rid of the trough, and the portrait she commissioned to dispel the rumors still sits in the building she built to this day. The last publication to treat the pig-faced lady as fact was published in 1924. Today, the stories are all but unknown. So, that's the story of the pig-faced ladies. Now, I should say that I did leave some things out. In addition to being sexist on a fundamental level, these stories tend to be anti-Dutch, anti-English, anti-Irish, and anti-Semitic, depending on the writer. They're either condemning the pig-faced lady and her nation of origin, or the supposed rubes of the nation that believed in the pig-faced lady. In the tales of the pig-faced lady, very few, if any, are sympathetic of the woman who was cursed. She's always a curiosity, a monster. The songs and ballads focused on the teeming crowds trying to get a look or trying to marry her for the dowry, but recoiling in horror. 
As I illustrated, it was used to discredit Miss Stevens and her philanthropic work, not to mention the mistreatment of a legion of bears shaved and dressed up in the 18th and 19th centuries. Also, if the pig-faced lady myth does have its roots in anything real, the roots are in people with facial deformities or disfigurements. These are people that likely didn't want the extra attention, and instead of the population seeking to understand or help them, they took their confusion and fear one step farther and made them into something less than human. In my mind, one of the few redeeming aspects of the pig-faced lady myth, besides the image of drunk, shaved bears in dresses turning on their captors, is that we can watch the course of the development of myths in general. A myth could have its roots in something real, but it's an idea that seemed outlandish, preposterous, but was supported by the facts of the time. And it stuck. If there could be one lady, there could be more. Hucksters and con men found a way to cash in on the belief, and the belief came to its peak where a large portion of the society believed in it, and was looking for it around every corner. Of course, eventually everyone realizes that this is ridiculous, and turns on the myth, laughing at it as the delusions of the last generation. Now, we can look back with a smirk at a legend which, at the time, was a very real belief. The thing is, we as people have not changed that much in 200 years. The internet's made it easier to fact-check things, true, but it's also made it easier to inundate the world with misinformation. Instead of one random supposed servant of the pig-faced lady talking to a newspaper, we can have 10,000 blogs spouting things just as crazy. We still gravitate towards shortcuts in thinking and reasoning, and though the contents of the crazes has changed, we are still eager to jump on the sticky ideas of our time and ride them until, as a group, we come to our senses, look back, laugh, and then seek out the next one. Whether it's a pig-faced lady or the horrors of gluten, we could all stand to stop, weigh the evidence, and then make an informed decision before running out into the street and looking into carriages for a snout. The other thing we can take away from this is that shaved bears are incredibly creepy. Really, if you haven't Googled it already, go do it. They will haunt your nightmares. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going back to Viking times, and I'll be telling the story of Ragnar Lothbrok, the legendary Viking king, and the main character of the History Channel series Vikings. The actual legend is fantastic and wildly different from the show, though, so no worries about spoilers. And even though the sagas are named after Ragnar, there are actually several powerful, respected, and compelling female characters, which, after the stories of the treatment of the pig-faced ladies, is a nice change. I want to say thanks to Smashy Face, Bassman or Baseman 1977, Emin Hobart, Hug Nice Man, Gainer Rybelt, Sasmantha, and Teacher of the Maths for the reviews. You all are great. Thanks so much. If you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, it helps people find the show and the show rise in the rankings. You can go to itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, I launched a Patreon page last week. I won't spend too much time talking about it but you can go to support.mythpodcast.com if you'd like to support the show monetarily. You can spend any amount of money, but for $5 a month, less than the price of half a pound of rubber bands on Amazon.com, you can have an extra monthly episode waiting for you, in addition to access to ebooks of the sources I've used, complete with the famous art that's been done over the stories. I was actually out this week and recorded this before the Patreon page launched, so I have no idea how it's doing, but I'm grateful for any of you who have even looked at it. And as always, I really appreciate you just listening. It's cool that so many people enjoy these stories as much as I do. The creature this week is the Uslum bird from Australian and British folklore. I know there are a lot of listeners from Australia, so please let me know if I got that remotely close. It's a large bird, 
Some sources say that it could support the weight of a man, and it has some very interesting flight patterns. I'll go over three. The first is probably the most adorable. It said that it flies backwards because while it doesn't know where it's going, it likes to know where it's been. Also, it really likes to look at its own tail feathers. The second is that, like spaceships in Futurama, sometimes it doesn't fly. It stays still while the universe moves around it. The third reason, like the first, also includes tail feathers, so to speak. If you startle a bird, it will fly up in the air, and it will do something effective, but gross, to get away. It will begin flying in large circles, which, with each rotation, get progressively smaller and smaller. That is, until it gets to the smallest circle, where it will fly up itself and disappear completely. Yep, that's right. It will fly up its own butt in order to disappear. Versions vary on whether or not it ceases to exist after it folds up into itself. But if at any point it's able to come out, I would imagine it goes straight for the birdbath. It's rare and presumably sought after, but you kind of have to wonder who would want to touch it after that sort of escape maneuver. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.